Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how we might get rid of mosquitoes in the future with author Tim Weingart. Then you'll learn about the one sea on Earth with no coastline and the story of a Russian surgeon who removed his own appendix. Let's satisfy some curiosity. What should we do about mosquitoes? Today's guest has some ideas. Dr. Tim Weingart is a professor of history and political science at Colorado Mesa University and author of the new book, The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator. Yesterday, you heard him talk about some of the ways mosquitoes have had a major impact on human history. So why did it take us so long to actually do something about them? It's been only really really the last little more than 100 years where we have unmasked the culprit that is the mosquito. So, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, depending on the, the disease that's vectored from malaria to yellow fever, we figure out that it is a mosquito. And then we can start our counterattacks against the mosquito and those diseases, if you will. So really where we had a breakthrough is with DDT. DDT, obviously, it has some severe uh, environmental ramifications on other animals, including the health of humans. But if we look at DDT specifically as a mosquito killer, it was a miraculous mosquito killer. And the rates of mosquito-borne disease with the use of DDT decreased dramatically in the late 1940s, 1950s. The problem is, is that obviously Rachel Carson with her 1962 book, Silent Spring, um, <laughs> made available the, the ramifications of DDT and Joni Mitchell sang about the birds and the bees and spots on, give me spots on my apples, uh, but leave me the birds and the bees in her song, Big Yellow Taxi. But what happened even before that is the mosquito had adapted to become immune to DDT. So before Rachel Carson publishes her book, there are already DDT-resistant mosquitoes around the world. So she's so adaptable, as our malaria, the malaria parasite is very adaptable, and it's a remarkable creature, that it's very hard, and we haven't been successful in, in essentially tackling either the mosquito or, or the diseases because obviously they, they still exist and they still kill. But there is some hope on the horizon with CRISPR gene editing technology. We all know the power and potential of CRISPR, so we had to ask, do we even need mosquitoes, or should we just try to make them go completely extinct? Well, I don't think the, the idea, keep in mind that of the 3,500 or so mosquito species, not all of them vector diseases. The vast majority don't. So I don't think the goal is to extinct a mosquito. I don't think anybody would say we want to wipe the mosquito off the face of the earth. I think with, you know, I find the CRISPR technology absolutely fascinating that we can intrude on natural selection and start tampering with the DNA of, of, of any animal on the planet at our, at our will to replace a section of DNA with another desired section of DNA in a genome that the goal is to CRISPR mosquitoes essentially to make them harmless by making them incapable of actually vectoring these diseases. So you'd bring down the disease, but not necessarily the mosquito species itself. Uh, to use a Star Wars vernacular, I think there's a balance to the force. And if we start artificially intruding on that balance, we don't really know what the repercussions might be. Again, Dr. Tim Weingard's new book is The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator. And you can find links to that and more from him in today's show notes. There is one sea on Earth with no coastline. Sounds like the beginning of a riddle. So what's the answer? An 
idiosyncrasy. I hope you're really proud of that one because it was good. I'm really proud of that one. <laughs> so the Sargasso Sea is in the North Atlantic Ocean, roughly a thousand miles east of Florida, just southeast of Bermuda. And it's not defined by lands around it, but instead by four ocean currents, the Gulf Stream, the North Atlantic Current, the Canary Current, and the North Atlantic Equatorial Current. These currents flow in a clockwise elliptical loop within the Atlantic Ocean and define the constantly changing borders of the Sargasso Sea. And if you're wondering what could possibly be interesting about an expanse of water surrounded by other water, you'd be surprised. The Sargasso Sea takes up two-thirds of the Atlantic Ocean. It gets its name from a genus of seaweed called Sargassum, which is a free-floating brown algae that reproduces vegetatively on the water's surface. The Sargassum gets pushed around by the currents and the wind, and it functions as a migrating habitat for an impressive variety of marine life. It's a nursery for turtle hatchlings and a spawning ground for endangered eels. Every year, larger species like humpback whales, sharks, and birds make their migrations through the Sargasso Sea, and they rely on the traveling seaweed for the easy prey that live within it. At one point in time, the Sargasso Sea was nicknamed the Horse Latitudes because it had a reputation for stranding sailors for weeks on end, who would then throw their horses overboard to lighten the load. These early explorers were afraid of getting tangled up in the thick Sargassum, but it's actually the sea's characteristically calm waters and winds that left sailors sitting around for so long. There just wasn't enough wind or current to push them around. So fear not. Go ahead and hitch a free ride through this fascinating sea with no boundaries. Have you ever wondered if a doctor could operate on himself? Well, today we're wrapping up with the incredible true story of a surgeon who did just that. And while it has a happy ending, fair warning that this is a story about surgery, so it's probably not for you if you've got a weak stomach. In the early 1960s, a Russian surgeon on an Antarctic station realized he was facing a life-or-death situation. He was experiencing signs of acute appendicitis, and as the only doctor on the isolated station, he knew he was the only person who could perform the surgery he desperately needed. And to make matters worse, he had to get approval from Moscow before attempting the surgery, because botching it would make the Soviet expedition look bad during the Cold War. Yeah, Leonid Rogozov had to worry about politics, on top of the fact that he was facing the prospect of literally opening his own abdomen to take his intestines out. And at the time, he didn't even know if that was humanly possible. But like I said, this story has a happy ending. Rogozov assigned different tasks to his colleagues. They handed him instruments, held up a mirror, and made sure nobody else fainted. Probably the hardest part of the job. He was very systematic and prepared for all potential outcomes. Rogozov even administered his own local anesthetic and performed the entire two-hour surgery without losing consciousness. When he found the appendix, it had a dark stain on its base, meaning that if it had been left for just a day longer, it would have burst. According to the BBC, Rogozov returns to Russia a hero, and his unfortunate medical issue became fodder for Soviet propaganda. Rogozov was awarded the Order of the Red Banner of Labor and was even compared to the first man in space, Yuri Gagarin. Operate on oneself versus head out to space? Propaganda aside, in our books, he deserved the award. I'm not going to lie. I feel like what he did is even more impressive than going to space. No disrespect to space explorers, but I mean, can you imagine? Well, I can't imagine taking someone else's appendix out either, so. Unreal. 
Before we recap what we learned today, here's a sneak peek at what you can catch this weekend on Curiosity.com. This weekend, you'll learn about four of the world's weirdest weather phenomena, how lying makes it harder to read the emotions of others, what the Milky Way looked like 13 million years ago, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that DDT was humanity's first major blow against mosquitoes, but now we may have to turn to CRISPR to deal with them. And that the Sargasso Sea has no coastline. And that a Russian surgeon removed his own appendix in the 1960s. Successfully. I can't get over that. Yeah, the successfully part is really the impressive part. (laughs) Join us again Sunday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And have a great weekend. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious.